Training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Hey, welcome back, everyone. This is Matt Pendola with the Pendola Project. And, of course, I have my lovely co-host. Yo, yo. Mr. Billy Haug for part two. And uh, this is about more performance this time. I think this is going to be a lot of fun discussing how we can maybe use the things that we're learning about fat more for performance or even just without using more fat in your diet for performance. So, for example, I know that Billy has not really utilized this type of a program before. So it's it's more about a periodization and looking at nutrition periodization, how you may be able to use that over time in your performances. And so, yeah, again, you know, making the right decisions for you. But Billy, what have you been up to, especially since the uh, the COVID? What have we been doing uh, to train to stay in shape? And, um, you know, a lot of this stuff has been on our own. I've always kind of felt like being a runner was a blessing in a sense where we could just go up into the mountains and run. You don't need the gym. And, uh, the, you know, when you're doing, let's say, team sports, which is fantastic, we were just talking to a friend of ours yesterday that wasn't really able to do as much because of the situation we're all in right now. She can't perform with her team or practice with her team. So a lot of what she needed to work on, you need at least one other person for. So she was kind of uh, stuck with just kind of at home uh, training sessions right now to kind of keep herself going, but she can't wait to get back to the field, which is great. So I, I feel extra fortunate that those those mountains are calling my name anytime, anywhere, any place. Right. And I mean, that's again, where we kind of look out just the same solace and solitude you find in running uh, when it's an individual sport also makes it conducive to the kind of physical physical distancing guidelines we have to adhere to during during the pandemic. So again, we're we're, we're fortunate for that. And of so course, what, am I, what am I saying? I'm saying everybody should become a trail runner. A <laughs> yeah, yeah, runner. slight flex there. But uh, <laughs> no, but what have you been up to, buddy? What have you been doing? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, again, the, the timing w- w- was fortunate for me because I was already training for a marathon that's at the end of June that is surprisingly still on. It hasn't been canceled, which is pretty crazy. And I think because it's in the uh, Snoqualmie. I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, you know, falls. It's it's kind of east of Seattle, and it's a smaller race. It's capped at, like, 400 people, and it's, like, on this uh, this kind of um, – I think I think it goes through, like, a, an abandoned uh, train tunnel at one point. You know, it's a, it's, it's it's less of, like, a road where you're going to be condensed with a lot of people. It's, it's kind of spread out. Um, but, it, it you know, it's like a Boston qualifier and stuff like that. So that was already kind of on my agenda. And uh, How did you even find that race? I was I, – I think I was – kind of just looking for races on the west coast that uh were fast you know it's it's flat for the first like 10 miles maybe and then a really slight downhill the rest of the time so not as much of an incline where it's going to destroy your quads but just enough where you can really you know open up and get some speed um and i think like something like low 30 percent of the people like qualify for boston at the race which is like pretty high um so again, yeah, I think that's kind of why. And I have a friend up in in Seattle, then hopefully try to try to uh, visit her while I'm up there. So just kind of worked out. But uh, yeah, I've been kind of increasing my volume with running in regards to that, and actually 
uh, last week. It was my 26th birthday, so I was just like, okay, I'll run 26 miles, you know, uh, 26.2, so <laughs> full marathon, you know, I was going to have to do something like that anyway. I mean, most programs going to have a day where you hit that like 70 to 80% of the actual race goal. And, you know, I'd run an ultra in the past and, and a half recently. So I was like, you know, I can, I know I'm able to finish the distance. I might as well just kind of test the waters. You know, it wasn't even a time trial. I was just trying to get a feel for the distance. And I'm, you know, glad I did it. How far was your ultra? My ultra was a 60K. So like 38.7 miles or something. 60K. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did a 50 miler years ago. Mm. And uh, most ultras are going to be either 50K. Usually they start with those. Then you have the 50 miler, then you have the 100K, the 100 miler. But uh, there, of course, there are some races in between. So 60K. Yeah, yeah it's a definitely a strange distance. Uh, but yeah, it's out there. <laughs> so you've been training in the gym. We, we've closed the facility, obviously, to our clients and the public. But, you know, lucky you, you became our assistant. And I mean, I kind of feel weird calling you an assistant. You're more than that. But uh, you you started to work with me and my programs back in uh, November, really, December area. And so you came here in the mornings and uh, did your training. And then you were really always good about wiping things down. I could I could uh, smell the cleaning agents when I'd come in <laughs> to my office. Uh, we would actually not even see each other. We went a long time without actually even seeing each other. But I could smell the you know the the ammonia and billy was here yeah i was using toxic chemicals to uh i was what destroying am I everything what, what am i thinking of the <laughs> not uh, ammonia the, like just the bleach anyway yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah there you go i don't know what what i'm saying but yeah and so we wanted to talk a little bit more first we'll play devil's advocate and say mm-hmm. that with you you have not done any sort of fat adaption or utilization type of approach yeah and i'll defend that simply because so you know what i just said what i'm training for the the evidence at this point would suggest and re- reading certain literature around very specifically for for training for these sort sort of endurance races that systematically uh taking in gels and you know the recommendation right now is like 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour when you're pushing these high intensities even something like a marathon like i'm going to try to run you know sub three hours at at this one in june so i have to be you know 652 pace or below so i'm still going to be pushing those thresholds like you would with any race any competitive event even if it's a hundred miler or a freaking 250 miler you're going to still be going at the pace that is fastest for that condition that's going to hopefully like put you on the podium or whatever so keeping that in mind there's a reason like why kipchoge was having someone ride beside him with the bicycle and hand him off you know the morton um, gels and the Morton drink mix. So he was perfectly targeted in for being able to go sub two. Now, again, I don't want to reduce someone's entire athletic performance to just their nutritional strategies. I think that's a farce and something we shouldn't fixate on. Um, there's so many things that go into performance from mindset, from your training protocols, you know, all the things that you preach. Nutrition plays a part in that for sure, but we shouldn't overemphasize its importance as well. I'm I'm not sure if he would have been able to go sub two if he didn't have again the that evidence based systematic injection of carbohydrates and fluid and electrolytes at the points he did. Um, again, we can't really hypothesize like that, but there's obviously a reason why he was doing that. Um, but then you have people like Zach Bitter, uh, the ultra marathoner, who take um, more different approaches and uh, would would fall into something that more more something that you're doing right now. So. Um, 
a more uh, a higher fat diet. Yeah, well, for example, when you mentioned before your pace, which 652 a mile for a marathon, for some people that can be you, you they could they could try to run a pace like that and maybe hit that for 1 mile or not even that depending on their experience and and all of those things obviously that come into running faster times but mainly we'll just say uh, the average person should be able to do something like that for at least a mile if they train for it but their heart rate might be much much higher to get to that 652 pace than than yours would be and then on the other extreme you have some elite elite athletes that 652 would be much lower heart rate than yours even 100 percent. so or even let's slow it down even more so i i think for that marathon i ran last week i averaged 754 again i'll just bring up kipchoge again so for him to do that would be an absolute walk in the park and going back to our last episode he would be at such and then again this is because of a training effect this isn't because of any nutritional strategies he's using this is just because he's been training for this distance and he's a professional runner and has done this for such a long time that he has a training effect where now that pace is very easy for him to sustain in what we would call the fat burning zone, right? I also hate that term too, but like he's able to maintain that pace and have that running economy where he can sit at like probably 140 beats per minute and run that. Hey guys, so Billy ran 26.2 miles on his birthday. Tell people why you did that, by the way. Uh, I mean, there's really no why. It's kind of like when you ask people, why are you climbing that mountain? It's just because it's there. You know, it was just something to do. I thought it was because you were turning 26. (laughs) Well, that's part of it. You only turned 26 once, so it's like there was no other time to line up those numbers, so... Yeah, so listen, most most of the, you guys listening are kind of nutty runners too and uh so so yeah, Billy's one of you, don't worry about it. But what I wanted to really I guess present today is why in part I think that I would rather go off of more fats and why that should be a part of my strategy for doing a 100-miler because I actually did a 50-miler and at just under eight minutes a mile, I, 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 I don't know. I know it wasn't more than eight minutes a mile, and, and I believe it was somewhere around 7.54 or something like that. Now, th- that was for 50 miles, and I did it off of gels. Um, that worked for up to 50 miles for me. The, the end of the race was quite difficult. I, I know that I couldn't have gone – a whole lot further because I wasn't I was already kind of getting to that point where I didn't really want to even get my gels down anymore but I I kind of forced it and I was able to do that um, at that pace for that amount of time but if you doubled the distance on me I was probably going to be in a lot of trouble and I, I kind of inherently knew that I would have to change that strategy quite a bit which is quite honestly I think why I stayed away from even attempting something longer like that because I didn't know for sure that I could finish. And that's now, to me, pretty intriguing. I think I can finish, um, but I don't have an absolute yes to it, so it will be a challenge to me. But I do think in in my case, in this case, a lot of it is going to come down to my choices in nutrition in the race itself. What would you say to that, Billy? Uh, Yeah, I mean, again, we have to reemphasize that sometimes you can get away from the uh, get away with these kind of things um especially if it it makes you more comfortable as the runner as the athlete 
um, assuming that it fits with the race in mind. So something that long, uh, again, there's a lot of ways you can tackle such an endeavor. Uh, and I think it comes down to what kind of race protocol. Uh, and I know this is something obviously you have nailed down because even on our run tomorrow, you're going to test out some of the strategies you plan to implement on, on race day. And uh, you just have to kind of experiment with trial and error. And in that kind of situation, I heard you mentioned to me it before uh, with any ultra endurance event, it somewhat turns into like who can eat and sustain what they're trying to do without experiencing extreme gastrointestinal distress. You know, that's, that's a real element of the race that you wouldn't have to worry about. in, uh, you know, an Olympic weightlifting meet where you're just trying to have the highest one rep max for your snatch or clean and jerk or trying to run a hundred meter dash. Yeah. And of course there is pallet fatigue that I think we should address as well. So when I say in a hundred mile race, first of all, because of COVID it doesn't, and also my business, I mean, I'm not, really planning on doing this this year i'm planning on really attacking this more next year to qualify for maybe western states would be the ultimate goal I, that sounds a little foolish to just talk that way without even uh, doing one qualifying race yet but but with my background i i feel like if i get this part down right i probably have a decent chance at, at doing those things but uh pallet fatigue would be a main factor at least to me so I would switch from eating whole foods, at least in my mind, foods that I can tolerate and take down to the gels when I need them and when I feel like maybe even towards the last, let's say, 30 miles at a race, that's when I may rely a little bit more on the gels just to get something down that I can absorb that much easier but I don't want to be doing that in the first 30 miles. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And you bring up a good point too. Again, I'm not trying to shill for, for Martin anything. I'm not sponsored. I swear I have nothing to disclose, but what's something good about their gels is you don't have to chew them at all. They literally go down like you're taking, you know, a jello shot to all my uh, college people out there. But, uh, they're not like a, a gel where you have to like it like a goo even where it's almost like it sits in your mouth a little bit or it's not like even some of these shots where you have to actually chew it a little bit so again when palate fatigue comes into play or you just want something you can just swallow and you know not think about it at all that's where again uh for an, an event like this it makes a lot of sense to experiment with that kind of thing yeah and so now i'm gonna just kind of turn a little bit more of the focus to what i would refer to as the evolution and this the science and in, in training and periodization concepts that we really i think need to delve into when it comes to performance definitely definitely and uh, i like how you used that term again we're not using fat adapted because by definition of being humans without inborn errors of metabolism we can perfectly adapt and use fat normally you know we don't have to have some special uh, diet or, or, or implementation that, to change that. That just happens the way it is. So again, what we're talking about here is, um, I guess a better term too that's used in the literature is fat loading. Similar to how you heard of carb loading, I'm sure. It's the same thing. You're, you're introducing or creating some sort of super compensation of fat stores. So in, in, in carb loading, this happens with glycogen stores. You're having a, a super compensation effect. And with fat loading, same thing happens, only it's in the what they call IMTGs, which are your intramuscular triglycerides. So that can be done through what you just said, some sort of nutrition periodization, which is what we see 
when we actually look at the study. So just to bring one up here, again, this will be available in the special newsletter, but I'm just going to read some off uh, some of the conclusions. So this was a 2017 study by Geisel et al., and it looked at four weeks of endurance training in elite athletes employing either periodic carbohydrate restriction. So again, that's a zero-sum game. They have to introduce more fats into the diet since they're restricting carbohydrates because this was under isocaloric and isomacro nutritional intakes uh, versus a carbon-rich diet. And what they found is that the result, this resulted in similar exercise performance. And the endurance performance, VO2 max, glycogen availability, and markers of mitochondrial adaptations all, agree, all increased to the same extent with high and periodically low carbohydrate availability. So... To translate that into layman's terms, basically what they saw is what I already talked about. Their both groups improved in some of these markers, but it wasn't because of the diet. They said it didn't matter. They both improved, right? It was a training effect. The fact they were both doing this four-week endurance protocol, again, like we're going to do a loop tomorrow. Let's just use that for an example. If it's a 60-minute loop, and they were, or let's use a distance, a 10-mile loop, and they were able to do it in... A less amount of time and at a lower intensity that means their glycogen availability would have been increased because they didn't have to utilize glycogen as much so they were doing it at a lower intensity and were able to use fat predominantly again this is a training effect in other words they're just getting more fit becoming fitter yeah no that's so i'm going to jump off of that and talk about my own testing and again for myself on our newsletter, guys, you just sign up at our website, pendolatraining.com. You can sign up for a newsletter. If you already get it, then just make sure it doesn't go to your spam. I get that a lot too, guys. People telling me that they're not getting a newsletter and it's in their spam, right? So sign up and you should make sure that you're getting the, the letter. But when I talked about better breathing concepts last week, we did put that into our next newsletter so you could look at the different inspiration versus expiration benefits of breathing and systems that I designed over the last 20 years or so, okay? But breathing in, mainly through my nose, that emphasized breathing through my nose for three steps and then breathing out for two steps while I'm what I call priming pace. So that's kind of sort of my nice steady state pace. And I feel like I could keep going at that pace for a very long time. That is getting better. And when I say getting better, I'm averaging about 15 to 16 seconds faster per mile at that same breathing system. Okay, so at my three, two breathing system. Also, my heart rate is lower than it was a few months ago, certainly, and I've taken several steps, even though the last few weeks is when I've been taking in more fats, it's been really a cumulative effect. So it's it's not just one thing that's that's creating a better benefit, but I can say that I am feeling better. My heart rate is operating lower at a slightly faster pace, actually, and I do feel like I could keep 
going. So tomorrow we're going to test that a little bit more. And the next phase for me is to be able to get in maybe some whole foods while I test that. So that would be that would be what I'm trying to accomplish there so I can introduce maybe a new effect and then see what I have to do, make changes for that. But I want to just point out that because even though somebody else could be taking in higher carbohydrates than me and getting a similar effect, I think the common variable there is that their heart rate would probably be lower at the same pace. In other words, that's probably more likely what's going on so that they can keep a certain performance level longer than they did before. So how they got there is not as important, I think, is what Billy's saying, as uh, is what they're actually doing now. But if I find that having my blood pressure, which I've mentioned uh, several times now, is lower and actually finally normal with the way that I'm eating now, I'm probably not going to change that no matter what performance benefits happen or don't happen. I, I probably would continue eating more of the way I'm eating now because of how I feel and my long-term health than how I'm running. But thankfully, it's also benefiting my running as well. And when I say 15 to 16 seconds, by the way, guys, faster per mile, that is on the same exact course, the same exact uh, time and distance. And when I say time, actually, I'm finishing the course a little faster. So it's actually a little less time, but the same distance. So that's just my example of how this has worked for me. And of course, I could just give my typical examples of fats that I like to take in, but I'm not a cook and I don't like to prepare much, so I keep it pretty simple. Uh, less salt than probably uh, the typical uh, program I used to follow, and that tends to feel better for me and also I think exchanges my palate for things that are a little bit, let's say, going from uh, less salty foods to, uh, to, to noticing even more flavors in other spices and other foods because I'm not bombarding my taste buds with as much salt there. And, and that's in part, I decided to go that route because my blood pressure was high, but I noticed that side benefit of actually also, I felt like tasting things a little bit more than I was before and had less palate fatigue in certain things that I had before. So uh, that would be an example of getting in my fats, but of course, the traditional, anything you can think of that it's healthy. I eat lots of avocados. I make sure I'm getting in a decent amount of, I do eat eggs. Um, I get in a decent amount of coconut oil just in my coffee, but also when we cook, things like that. Cooks pretty well, uh, coconut oil. And um, then, of course, extra virgin olive oil on my salad those type of things. Um, and then as far as the rest of it goes, I think it's just more off of common sense. Like I make sure that I have a, a big ass salad every day. I make sure that within that salad, I have lots of different options like olives. And even though I have, let's say two or three meals per day, usually, or sometimes four, just depending on my day, it's not so much about how often I'm eating to me. It's just more about when I'm training and then 
if I have food in my stomach when I start a longer run, I generally tend to have some uh, some some discomfort there. So actually tomorrow is going to be learning to actually get some food in and then start my first loop a little bit slower and go a little bit faster as I go, but not having uh, zero food in my stomach and seeing how that goes. Because obviously for a longer race, I'm going to need some food in my stomach to start as well. Does that, does, does that kind of add up to you, Billy, what I'm talking about here? Yeah, well, let's recap. You covered all your bases first, right? You have a diet that you're able to adhere to and sustain, and that fits with your goals. Then you're able to handle your total macronutrients and energy needs. So we have those crossed off. And then you mentioned all the diversity that you have within food groups. You're mixing up your fats. Uh, you're mixing up your other sources. And you steadily climb the pyramid, and you're less concerned about things like meal timing. But, of course, since you're training for this race, meal timing starts to become more of an issue here. You want to avoid certain GI distress and things like that. And again, to play more devil's advocate, we talked about this yesterday. It could have, your your blood pressure changes that you notice could have been completely uninvolved with the shift in macronutrients you made. But perhaps when you eliminated some of the carbohydrate sources, you also inadvertently eliminated a lot of sodium, which we know for certain individuals um, can cause acute and chronic increases in blood pressure levels. So then that's something we call a confounding variable, right? You may have made the association that, okay, I decreased carbohydrates, therefore I also decreased blood pressure. But that association doesn't mean that the elimination caused the decrease. It could have mean there's something else involved. In this case, um, the decrease, the co-committant decrease in sodium. Yeah, so I'm going to give a quick example that you can, I already kind of think I know what you're going to say here, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you my history and then you can tell me why you think I'm getting these results now. But when I was younger, of course, I got into the longer training programs and ran over a hundred miles a week and Tim Noakes and guys like that said eat lots and lots of carbs as i mentioned before eating 5000 or more calories a day a lot of those carbs become filler carbs you're also eating uh or you're getting in things like pickles and drinking pickle juice you know so you so you don't cramp right and i don't think that's necessarily bad but just keep in mind with my blood pressure and other factors maybe some of the choices i made there weren't so good i personally think that the weight gainer shakes that I was constantly drinking just to get in the extra calories probably gave me a lot of crap and a lot of fillers in my system over over time. And I, I had, I'd say, a good three-year period of time when I was just really forcing calories down. And then I moved on to hot shotting after my running was kind of, okay, you're you're not going to the Olympics. You're you're not going to be a competitive runner anymore. There's no reason to run over 100 miles a week. Oh, and I was injured all the time back then. So I just took time off and I got into hot shotting. And then you you start to go to fires where you just you you eat what they give you, but also pretty much. I mean, it's kind of funny because I wonder how things like that go now. I don't know. I it's been a long time since I've. Uh, since I've, I've done that job, but, you know, do they have vegan options? And so they, they must, I guess. But back then it just seemed like uh, there was really none of that. It was just here. This is what you get today. And, you know, we were kind of also the guys who were the crew bosses 
at the time would decide what goes into uh, the the vans. So when we're on our way to a fire, and it might even be a day of driving, whatever we have in the coolers is what we're eating. So, you know, again, it was a lot of a lot of simple sugars, a lot of Mountain Dew, <laughs> a lot of Mountain Dew, um, and and uh, probably not the best for me overall. A lot of um, just um, meal replacements too, by the way. So those in itself, super high in sodium, of course. Those were left over. Some of them, I think, from uh, you know World War II. I don't know. It seemed like they were they were pretty old. Um, and so we were we were eating. No, it was from the it was from the Gulf War, I think. But you know, it, we were eating those as well. Just whenever we'd get stuck and we didn't have anything else to eat, we always had those on board just in case. But we actually ended up eating those quite often, just being extra hungry and burning as many calories as we were. It's like it was never enough what we were given, and we were eating a lot of simple sugars. So again, like I definitely feel hungry a lot quicker again. Well, again, yeah, and that's why I mean things like Mountain Dew or what we call sugar-sweetened beverages, SSBs, have been associated with so many adverse metabolic conditions because they're very easy to overconsume. They're not very satiating. It's literally just liquid sugar. Um, but try to say, consume that same amount of sugar in the form of just sugar cubes. You know, it's not the same. Same thing as saying a diet that's 80% carbohydrate, but that's made out of um, fibrous, starchy vegetables, uh, fruits, whole foods, things like that. That's way different than just consuming refined starches. Um, and again, you have to not only consider what that what that what you're missing out on um, with the whole foods as well. Because with all those refined starches, you're not getting the fiber. You're not getting the things that make up the whole food matrix, some of the phytochemicals, uh, the micronutrient densities, all those things. So again, it's less about the particular macronutrient in question, but the overall quality of the diet itself. Yeah, one thing that I want to point out from Rob Wolf's book that really stood out and made sense to me when they had an ice cream eating contest. Mm-hmm. He told this story. You met, you read his book too. Yeah, I remember this uh, antidote. Yeah, and uh, and the person had just kind of reached that palate fatigue, and of course, ice cream's like the tastiest thing on the planet to most people. I know that's definitely uh, for me. I can definitely eat my ice cream. And in order to eat more, they served them up, what, French fries or something, and they were able to now eat more ice cream again. You had that savory-sweet contrast that basically overrided our signals of satiety and made it actually somehow paradoxically able to consume more food despite all these conflicting hormonal and even gastric distension, you know, signs that our, our body's telling us. And that's why, again, flipping the coin... Things like the carnivore diet, which I'm sure you've heard of, which I don't advocate in any way, shape, or form, or something like the potato diet can both work for a person just trying to lose weight. Because if you're restricting, you know, 90% of foods and all you're allowed to take in is a bland baked potato or um, a filet mignon, you're going to experience palate fatigue fairly quickly. And especially with the meat, protein being satiating, um, and actually potatoes are also registered the highest on the satiety index. You're just not going to consume as much food and as much energy, and therefore you're going to be in a deficit. So that's why things like that work. It's not because you're magically eliminating, uh, you know, something that's inherently making you gain weight or something like that. Yeah, it's just it's giving you some structure that you can use and stick with. If that you know if that works for some people, like one of one of uh, my clients, he just he loves 
intermittent fasting and he's right. got like a four hour window and he lost uh, he lost weight and has been able to keep it off and it's just simply because he doesn't eat 20 hours out of the day and he's i think he does eat quite a bit in that four hours but um there's a certain probably fat palate fatigue he gets there where he just doesn't overeat like he used to and i give him credit though that he does a good job not getting outside of that window for the rest of the time, he's been maintaining that for over a year now, so it seems to be working. So, again, it works for him, but uh, the the thing I warn him about is doesn't mean that's good for everybody, and it doesn't mean it's, it's – Is it sustainable either? Yeah. You know, that's why things like the ketogenic diet, unless it's for things we've discussed before, like um, drug-resistant epilepsy in children where uh, your your survivorship or quality of life is entirely dependent on that – for anyone else, it's likely not going to be sustainable. Yeah, and I think it's a particularly probably more sustainable for him in that most of his day, he does work a lot of hours, and most mm-hmm. of his days, he's just kind of preoccupied. He's not sitting there bored. It makes sense, there, and that's one of the biggest things. Boredom is a huge opportunity for us to, to just snack away. It, it, it's We've seen it time and time again. Okay, but I want to. this is what I want to circle it around to, though. For performance mm-hmm. and in an ultra specifically, and I, I will say that we are uh, by the time this podcast out there, we are marketing a little bit more in our running programs, and we're promoting our our run strong programs because that is a large part of my background, and that's why I'm sharing a lot of this information now. And uh, I know I'm speaking to a lot of runners, so don't worry, we got you here. But even when you're talking about, let's say, somebody who's going to be out there hunting and uh, covering a lot of ground for days, or even just somebody who loves uh, hiking and is just out there in the and, and uh, doing the Appalachian Trail or something, obviously there's endurance is innate, and that's actually uh, something you said a while back in a, in a meeting we had kind of like just brainstorming and we just loved that uh, that concept endurance is innate so that's our that's our hashtag that's our motto right now thank you for that Billy it was like a Jimmy Neutron brain blast moment you know <laughs> yes and uh, so so yeah so I know that we probably have some endurance athletes that are like okay so what is the point here here's here's the point for me I spent all those years that I was kind of taking in a lot of quick carbs I'm just gonna say it that way right and I think that I did myself a disservice, and I, it took me a while to realize that that wasn't going to work for me long term, and I had to make some changes, and I do feel a lot better with those changes that I made, and I do credit Rob Wolf and his book for uh, the original Paleo Solution and then now Wireteat, where he reminds me of some of the things that probably I need uh, to, to make adjustments for, but in performance now, so the, the, the health benefits are first for me, but in performance, now I'm thinking about using some of these, these things that Rob talked about for palate fatigue in my favor. So that means that I actually want to switch from having the salty potatoes to the sweeter gels and that will, when I probably don't want to take anything else in, I'm hoping that will really help me to get, to be able to keep getting in more, even though my body is probably telling me no, or my mind is telling me no. And uh, that's, that, you know, that's where I'm kind of trying to use 
these concepts. And I know in that particular case, it was generally you're saying, uh, why are we overeating? Well, in, in this performance benefit, I want to try to get in the extra calories because obviously I'll need it to finish. Yeah, you're actually not overeating at all because you're actually just trying to not <laughs> be in an in in energy um, a deficit. I mean, it's fuel for the work required, right? In an event like that, you're gonna you're gonna be under what you normally consume, no matter what. It's just the way it works out. It's just how the just energy how equation much is gonna happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. How much is the question, and that can mean the difference between first and you know whatever place. So, yeah, no, and that's that's where I think sometimes we can take concepts and figure out how we can implement them, and it's not always going to be the same for every person, but it is going to be understanding those concepts that really matters. So for the fat utilization or for using my uh, my body and my system for performance, I think that I'm on the right track, but do you think there's anything that I should be changing as I'm moving forward and going into these uh, longer events, Billy? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's not so much what you should be changing, but what you just said, what you should be aware of. So up-regulating up your fat oxidation via this low-carb, high-fat training and then fueling with carbohydrates when performance matters. It sounds good in theory, but the physiological adaptations that would happen with that diet may work against you. And namely, this would be, um, since you're glycogen sparing, you might down-regulate some of the important enzymes such as pyruvinate dehydrogenase, which is involved in carbohydrate metabolism. Now, this has been seen that in the studies that it's not as much as you're increasing fat, but you're restricting carbohydrates. So to put it another way, let's say I had a heavy night of drinking last night, that could be true or false. Um, <laughs> let's say it's true. I would see an upregulation in alcohol dehydrogenase or, or acetaldehyde dehydrogenase, which is basically the enzyme that helps you metabolize alcohol. But it's a very transient thing that's going to be gone the next day. Now, if I did that chronically, you'd start to see some more lasting changes, which is what we see with people going on this periodization program where they increase their fats and, and take down their carbs. Now, while that increases some of the enzymes and things involved in fatty acid uh, utilization, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's the same reason that I'm sure you've heard of things like carnitine. It's a supplement that has no evidence behind it whatsoever, yet people are still trying to use it. And the basis behind that is carnitine is one of the things that gets fatty acids when they're attached to acetyl-CoA across the mitochondrial membrane so they can be utilized in the Krebs cycle. The, th the thing is, it's not the rate-limiting step. So no matter how much you increase that, it's not going to increase the amount of fat you can utilize. However, what I just said, if you're doing a diet where you see an upregulation in those enzymes and a co-committant decrease in the enzymes involved in carbohydrate metabolism because you're not taking carbs anymore, you might see a detrimental effect in that, in a, in a point in the race, even if it's something submaximal or something really long, like an alternate endurance event, um, you're still going to have things like the breakaway and the surge uphill or the sprint to the finish line that are dependent on being able to tap into carbohydrate stores. And if you've put your body again in a fat dependent fat reliant state where it can't you know m metabolize carbohydrates as readily then that might work against you but again i think you're doing it the right way and what you just said 
if you were to do some sort of protocol, it would be the train low, race high type thing versus just going on a flat out high fat diet all the time. Now, again, the mixture, the, the results from those studies are heterogeneous, meaning some of them show that people do, do better or do the same on them. But there's also studies showing that with that periodization, they actually perform worse. So again, this is where it's going to come down to the individual. And it sounds like for you, Matt, and from what I've seen, this is something that works for you and something you would be able to thrive off of. Yeah, and I'm interested in what you think about this, but in my mind, keeping it simple here, I'm essentially taking in more fats in my preparation, in my general physical preparation. As I get more fit and more specific and go more into my SPP phase, where, in other words, let's just take it to race day, I'm essentially taking in more carbohydrates, obviously, on race day. So uh, the, to me, the ch- most of the training, I'm using more fats in my nutrition, and then most of my uh, my specificity, which is basically my racing and key workouts or tr- key training for that, I'm using more carbs, right? So that's, uh, that's, that's kind of the general approach I plan on, on taking. So um, even though you're probably going to hate the way I say this, I probably in my mind think, okay, I'm, you mentioned the, the hill repeats we did a couple days ago. And uh, yeah, we, we did some decent climbing there. And we, uh, we, we surged for, let's say 10 sets of one minute with one minute recovery uh easy uh up a pretty steep canyon and then we went we went on some pretty tricky traverse a lot of routes a lot of areas we could definitely trip and fall and uh, that was at just kind of a steady state pace but fast feet you know just get your feet turning over Mm -hmm. but it certainly wasn't hard on the on the system cardiovascularly and then we did some even steeper hill repeats but that's when did some pretty serious uh, surging, but you know within reason because I'm not taking three minutes to recover between each one. So it's the, it feels hard, but the the idea is that you're teaching your body to surge and then recover and surge and recover. And I'm doing all of that on higher fats and just with coffee and coconut oil in my system that's that's what i'm operating off of and then we finished off with a pretty long and strong kind of steady state pace again scrambling when we needed to um even certain parts where we switched it over to power walking on super steep parts because that's what i'm going to encounter and then of course running downhill and learning how to almost like ski down a, a dirt slope that's how steep uh, one of the sections was. And then just finishing off on sort of a rolling hill sort of course. So I call it the roller coaster course because you're up and you're down, you're up and down, and you're, you're moving pretty well. But uh, there's no, the, the ups are, are challenging, but they're short. And then you're rolling down again. So you're just getting used to switching from pushing down into the ground and then stepping down as you're running down. But also I'm trying to really focus in those points about my breathing and bringing my breathing system into it and keeping my heart rate as controlled and low as possible. And I'm very conscious of how I'm thinking all of that. So even though I know that I can't run that course as fast the way 
that I did that. It's you are training for a very specific purpose there. And then, as you know, we discussed phase B for me is using that same course, but running the entire course at more of a a uh, little bit more of a uh, steady state or even towards up-tempo uh, type of effect, but without as many surges, more trying to keep it more even even effort, we'll say. So that's where I think making those adaptions and getting used to being able to feel strong at those points and feeling fit is good. But then at a certain point, it's time to bring the gels back into the equation. Right, and and that's the thing. If I had told you, hey, we're going to do that 10-mile loop five more times, so we're doing 50 miles, right? And we had to keep up that same intensity or even, you know, increase it two or fourfold, which is going to happen in a race. You know, I just caution you that we have mechanistic and experimental evidence that's ever-growing that in any kind of prolonged exercise that involves self-pacing, the athlete has to have the ability to work at high intensities. And this could be impaired, could be, um, as far as we know, by implementing some sort of dietary fat reliance or adaptation, you know, or periodization. So again, I'm just looking at this from an objective standpoint and more, like you said, providing the listeners and yourself with just the knowledge and, uh, and the evidence and the basis behind these things. And it's up to them to choose for themselves. Because again, it's going to come down to the whole equation. Because I would argue the greatest benefit of such a low-carb, high-fat approach would be for an athlete that can't tolerate large amount of carbohydrates during races, poor races, something like that. It just doesn't agree with them. Or like you said, you already know you're going to be able to consume more and fight off that fatigue that's going to help you win by mixing things up. And I would also say that I'm lazy. I'm a lazy person by nature. Um, of course, I know that I have a lot of things on my plate. So I do have a lot to do every day. But when I say lazy, there can be certain things, especially like preparation and cooking. I want things to be as simple as possible. I'm lucky that my wife makes a good home-cooked meal and uh, that's really mainly because of our daughter, Mia. If it wasn't for me, I'm pretty sure I would get uh, just another can of tuna at night. But I do um, just right here in the studio, I have my dry foods and my foods that I can just kind of keep in the pantry. So I eat right now a fair amount of uh, canned tuna. And, uh, you know, I that's in spring water. I also have, let's see, sardines. And that's an olive oil. So, you know, there's also in my mind, though, there's a certain amount of time I probably want to cycle off of that type of uh, plan just because I know that I'm eating a lot of canned foods. And potentially, I don't know how much I have to worry about mercury and things like that. But, uh, of course, I I try to be aware of, of how often or how long I'm on things like this and i think cycling off of that and just changing up my programming so that um you know i'm eating foods that are a little bit more fresh more often is a good thing for me too so i would say that 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 can be maybe part of my process where again it comes back down to to health and it's not performance based for me all the time but i think sometimes it's okay for me to just mainly think about how this is affecting my performances and again yeah and i think that's a great point because no matter what there's going to be trade-offs you know 
whether with whether it's within the performance itself, like you said, it's way less stressful for you to not have to worry about it. Just keep it simple. And if your dietary pattern fits that, I think that's great because you're eliminating a stressor that could potentially weigh on your shoulders and decrease your performance. And then zooming out from that, there's a trade-off too with with as far as your health goals or health benefits. So I think that's all really important stuff to consider. And I I would say that when it comes to strength training, we mentioned this briefly before, but uh, I really I do want to touch upon this this subject, especially because you and I uh, we have remarkably uh, I think similar patterns right now in our strength and conditioning. Um, and you know again I just say to you, hey, do you want to go do this like? three loops with me and you're like yeah it'd be great and i don't know i don't know if i could count five people on my hand that would say that um so you know we we have a lot of similar goals there but we are eating differently for those uh those similar goals so it's interesting to me but i mentioned before that when i'm on more carbs i do feel like lifting heavy shit i mean i do i feel i feel better i want to i want to lift a little bit more when I'm following a program like this one, um, I know that I'm gearing my efforts more towards my running. So I'm very aware that I'm just choosing to spend more of my energy out on the trails as well. But there are some days where I want to get in and still kind of uh, hit those heavier lifts and feel good about it. So that's when I may just have a little bit of uh, oatmeal maybe a banana on the way to the gym or during the the training session itself and i feel better but that's where it's almost like to me it's like rocket fuel where uh i might even have say you mentioned morton every once in a while i might have my my morton gel and just to feel what that does for me there's like 100 milligrams of caffeine in there too and what that does for me uh so i'll go say do my run, then I come into the gym and I'll have a little shot of my Morton gel as I'm uh, doing my strength training and just seeing how I feel off of that. And I usually, I don't know if it's more in my mind, but I just feel uh, like I can get a little bit more of those heavier reps in. And that's only a uh, hundred calories or so. So it's not giving me a ton. It might be more of a mental boost than anything. I mean, uh, you mentioned the caffeine. I mean, there's a reason caffeine is, is so well studied as far as ergogenic aid. And assuming you're taking in the efficacious doses, I mean, there's very real, it's not just in your head. I mean, caffeine has a very direct effect on the central nervous system that's been shown to reduce what we call rate of perceived exertion. Um, and, and that can in key stave off fatigue. And the same thing actually happens during uh, intra-race fuelings, particularly with carbohydrates, um, that's been shown to reduce uh, perceived exertion, which, you know, if it's easier for you, for you in your mind to uh, sustain that 6.30 pace or whatever, uh, you're, you're going to win or you're going to beat the guy next to you that, that that pace is for them turning into, you know, an RPE 9 or 10. Yeah, because I feel like, depending, of course, on the course, I mean, especially when you're talking about mountain racing and, and run, running in, uh, you know, the Sierra Nevada mountains, it, it's not uncommon to hit a section where you're putting in quite a bit of effort and running a 10 to 12 minute mile. And that's actually hard to keep that pace up. Yeah. So you can't just say, uh, well, you know, X amount per mile, but average and overall, 
if I were able to run eight minutes a mile for that 50 mile a run that I did, that was like 17 years ago, but I feel like I'm actually better equipped and stronger for that now and more prepared. I realize I'm not as fast as I was 17 years ago, but that's kind of the cool part about going longer is it's more about your strength and it, and it gives me uh, a very strong why and what I need to work on in the gym. So it gives me a lot of reasons to get excited about the training and what it can do for me. But I also just think that eight minutes a mile is very reasonable to, to average for 50 miles. The true question is, can I, can I uh, average anywhere near that for 100 miles? And that's where maybe some of these small things can yield big results possibly. Yeah, sure. Uh, and again, it just really takes uh, some self-experimentation. And again, my, I think my job here is to provide, provide the people, you know, <laughs> with just the evidence and the, the more objective side of things. You know, this is what we know as far as researching this and, and what we see in the labs. But then, of course, having you come in and saying, well, you know, I've done these races before and I've I've injected the kind of, this kind of stuff into my protocols. So, again, it's going to come to kind of come down to the to the individual and you have to not only weigh the the benefits and detriments on the performance side, but as zooming out as a whole on on the overall health effects. So, let me just ask you, Billy, uh, sort of to start to wrap this up. What would you have tomorrow? for our run let's assume that it's going to be a three-hour run okay so we talked about doing maybe three loops what and 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 by the way guys just it's not that we're racing it but we plan on each loop getting slightly faster and i already know from my own testing that running at a just a, a very comfortable pace the first loop will take an hour so we're gonna just try to go an hour and then slightly faster and then slightly faster. So let's just say that the whole thing takes us two hours and 45 minutes. Okay. What are you going to eat and when let's, uh, let's actually take it to you wake up in the morning. We're going to meet at eight o'clock and, and run for a few hours. So you wake up in the morning, what are you eating? Um, then through the run and then for the rest of the day and then I'll go. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, three-hour run again we're not it's not going to be like a time trial or anything but again the recommendation would be like around 90 carbs uh grams of carbs per hour but again i don't think i have to like take that in every hour so i could basically fulfill that first hour with what i take in the morning for breakfast so i'd probably probably have something like i don't know a, a go-to like quick meal for me is like like you said oatmeal with maybe some pieces of fruit and then i love to mix like uh whey protein in there uh, chocolate just yeah nice and smooth maybe even some peanut butter too um, but basically get myself to like the carbohydrate level i need to be there and then i also have you know enough time to digest um, the rest of the components in that meal and then as far as for the run itself i'll probably have a couple gels on me i actually <laughs> don't know how well i'm stocked up right now i might have to pick some up somewhere uh, but basically um, gels are something easily digestible for me uh, maybe um, i know uh spacing on the brand right now um but they make just an energy chews that have some caffeine there too sure yeah um, i mean cliff bar yeah, makes right it could be and, anything yeah but basically um a combination of those uh easily and fast digestible carbohydrates that usually have the correct ratio too of fructose to glucose which we know is gonna um provide the best um benefit there and then also um an adequate amount of caffeine 
So um, just, again, that we know is associated with the performance benefits. Is that caffeine necessary? No, it's definitely not. Like if someone doesn't like taking caffeine and makes them super anxious and jittery, I would advise against that because they're not going to experience any benefit from that. It actually might hurt their performance. But for me, I'm well aware of my, my tolerance levels and what it does for my body. So that's basically what I'm going to try to hit during the run. And again, that'll be through gels and then probably a pack or two of the Morton uh, drink mix. Okay, so you mentioned the Morton drink mix. So you're, you are going to bring a couple bottles with you or a bottle with you. How do you carry that water? How do you carry that drink mix? Yeah, um, the, the prescribed mixture is like 500 milliliters uh, or like 17 ounces per, per packet. So I'll probably just bring one bottle and then, uh, you know, ditch it somewhere. I'm really not worried about that, uh, especially since we're doing the loop. It's easier for us to just pick it up later or whatever or on the way back. And then I'll have the gels in my back pocket or something. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, the the loop, that's kind of the benefit of using our loop. We almost can treat uh, like an aid station every time we go by every hour. We, we can stop and get stuff if we want to. I think that, uh, well, over, I'll let you finish with your day, though. What are you, you going to have for the rest of your day? Uh, to be honest, I have no idea. Uh, I mean, like, obviously, like, I'm going to get a good post-recovery meal. I just don't really know what that is. And do you eat right after you get done with something like this? Uh, usually not, mostly because um, with, uh, and this is just for me, whenever I do something long like that or any high intensity workout, I'm really just not that hungry. Um, so, you know, it could be anywhere from like two to three hours after where um, I'll start to refuel. I don't know if I recommend that, you know, in, in a race scenario. I mean, like I said, things change, but, you know, this is just a workout for us. So I'm not like terribly concerned. Um, there's not going to be a huge recovery difference if I had that meal 30 minutes after or, you know, four hours after, especially because it's not a resistance training effort either. And we've talked about before that that anabolic window doesn't really exist. So you don't have to eat a steak within 30 minutes. <laughs> no, you don't have to mainline inject, you know, casein into your veins. So uh, that's good to know. So and well, uh, one more question, though, I mm -hmm. think would be beneficial. What are you having tonight? I also don't really know. <laughs> so in other words, it's not that crucial to you what you have the night before. Uh, I mean, it, it's important, but uh, like I said, I just don't know off the top of my head. So like I've been, we've been here since the morning, so I just really haven't had a time to think about it. But, you know, once I leave here, I'm definitely going to plan it out. You know, I know, again, what's, what's, what's in store for me tomorrow. So I'm going to make sure, you know, I top off those glycogen stores. Um, and it'll probably be a meal I've made before, assuming that like my dad isn't, you know, making something crazy in the kitchen or something. Um, but again, it's, it's more about hitting those bases of the pyramids. I know, uh, my total energy, I should be hitting my protein, my macronutrients and having those in mind, you know, it's, it's relatively easy to, to develop a meal around that. I just don't know specifically off the top of my head, what it's going to be. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. So with, uh, a couple of things I'll point out though with our athletes we've always said that you want to practice and figure out what works for you in practice and then on race day never change anything that works for you 100 percent. so that's kind of where i was kind of leading towards and of course i know you you haven't had much time to think about what you're having tonight but i will stick in general the night before with foods that are a little bit lower overall in fiber and that works for me mm -hmm. regardless of the race that I'm going to run. Yeah. And, uh, and of course I just, other than that, I mean, I would say that usually I like to have some salmon and I will have maybe a, a little bit more on, um, the carbohydrate end 
And again, what sort of, I like the word you use smooth. I mean, what's kind of, so it might be something just completely out of context. People uh, would be surprised at salmon and some oatmeal, but I, I'll just, <laughs> whatever works for me. Um, and so that's what I, I kind of like those kind of uh, foods. But, but again, when I say lower in fiber overall, I, I'm, I'm talking a little bit more about, especially with the big ass salad I normally eat. I'm, I'm a little bit less on that end of things and on fruits. But um, if I do have any sort of trail mix that works well with my, again, nuts and seeds in there and then some dried fruits. Yeah. And I'll, um, you know, I'll have some of that. Uh, so, again, I don't – it's not black or white. It, I There's a gray area there. Yeah, I, I get that there's some, uh, some fiber in those foods. But I just – I'm talking about having less than I normally would have. And I actually normally have a lot of fiber in my daily uh, nutrition. Well, it's also, it's also fiber from these – these whole food sources it's not like a you know there's a fiber used in in certain um like protein bars and stuff like quest is one or like things like chicory root which like if you have a lot of that stuff it can very easily cause gastrointestinal problems so it's more about choosing which fibers you're resorting to and not but like again none of those things are bad per se i'm not saying that at all but it'd just be not in your best interest to do that right before a hard workout because you might experience some some ill effects Right, because a lot of nights, for example, I have popcorn. I snack on popcorn, mm-hmm. and that's just one of those things where I I don't have popcorn the night before. So, and then I would say in the morning that is when I will have tomorrow morning. I am going to have some oatmeal, and I you kind of stole my thing because that's <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll I'll have a I'll have some oatmeal with probably that's some one of the few times that I will use a protein powder and just mix it right. in as well. It's just so easy. And it, it 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 tastes great, like it's fire. So guys, try it out. Exactly, and I, I will tell you, like I try to treat mornings like that as similar as I can to a race morning. So in other words, I'm I'm going to have those things about four in the morning, and I don't, I'm not going to feel like cooking eggs and stuff, right? Well, and that's also if you were to travel somewhere for a race and you have to stay in a hotel room, like that's something you can easily do with just like hot water and instant oatmeal and okay. bringing the rest of the materials. You can't fry eggs in your room necessarily. <laughs> And that's uh, that's such an important point that um, I think a lot of times we just don't think ahead enough of those things because that's exactly why I prefer using a protein powder, something like that, where I can just easily travel with it. And it, obviously, most hotel rooms, you can make sure yours has at least a microwave so you can make your oatmeal pretty easily and quickly. And it doesn't, you know, of course, they sell oatmeal cups now. It's just, I mean, it gets as easy as that, right? But with just a little bit of planning. And then I probably would say um, th- that the banana would come into that as well. Mm-hmm. And that would be my fruit. But again, uh, that's a highly digestible fruit for me. And I think for for most people, it it would be like a go-to. And with some, uh, because I'm just basically using a little bit more fats overall um, in comparison, not the amount of fat I would normally have, but again, I would have my coffee with my coconut oil. I'd probably stick with that on the way to the, the run about an hour before roughly is when I start to sip on my coffee. And uh, I wouldn't have any additional caffeine right then, but what I would do is take a few of those Morton gels with me that have 
100 calories and 100 milligrams of caffeine, which is just about perfect for me. And and I do I do think I'm, Morton is the for me has always been just highly highly effective and digestible. Even when I'm running at much faster paces, I just can tolerate it super super well. So I I agree. I like that. Uh, Sponsor us if you're listening, Morton. Right? Yeah. You actually gave away free Mortons uh, for your birthday. Right. Yeah. So uh, I think, yeah, I made a post um, just post marathon. Uh, I had just my fueling protocol right there. And I just thought it was a good time to, to do giveaways. So, yeah, we gave away a pack of the the drink mix, two of the gels. And then I actually used also um, there's a company Ascent. They make protein powder and also a pre-workout that's uh, it's really simple. It has um, it has like 150 milligrams of caffeine and then maybe like forget how many grams of carbs but that's really all it is so it's super simple and just like added to the dream mix so yeah we've been definitely utilizing them a lot lately yeah it's perfect so yeah in other words though i think that i was also going to just try to pack a couple bananas with me and some uh, peanut butter packs or just uh, almond butter packs it doesn't really matter either one works pretty well for me and um, and then other than that, for tomorrow's run, just during the run, I think I'm going to experiment with a Camelback, just seeing how that feels. It's so I haven't I've actually run most. Of, the, of course, we've been in the over the winter months more, and it hasn't been that hot yet. But I've done a lot of three to four hour runs without food and without water now that's not something i'm promoting i'm just without shoes without clothes right <laughs> i'm not promoting that i'm not saying that it's just something that i've been doing and uh just kind of teaching myself to go longer and longer without without needing anything but i, I want to stress here that uh, i was never like that far away from help if i needed it or if i needed to get back to basically my aid station which was my truck i never got myself so far out there that i couldn't get back um if i was feeling really dehydrated or something i could have gotten back to my truck in time so well i think that that's in those are important sessions to have too just from a mental callousing aspect being able to do that and just prove to yourself and and forge some of that resilience of like i can crank out one of these like in four hours without anything and you know it's a it's a it's a big uh it's a big uh booster as far as self-confidence yeah and that's that that's i'm glad you brought that up because hopefully i'm relaying that properly to the listeners i'm just trying to expose myself to all different kind of situations that i will most likely run into uh, i've been watching a lot of channels on other ultra runners and and people are doing races like that where they are uh, they, they think that they're going to be at an aid station much sooner than they are. The, the, the terrain was more difficult. It took them longer to get to the next aid station. They didn't take enough food with them or they got lost. Or I was just about to say, uh, Matt, you're, you're known for going miles off course sometimes. And, uh, you know, when that kind of stuff happens, you, you really enter a, uh, a void and you don't know when the next, uh, when the next uh, station is going to be. That's right. And I also, I say, <laughs> I know it's, it's so silly how many times I've gone the wrong way. Um, but you know, I also would say that race or no race, it is for me, it feels, I guess, maybe a sense of accomplishment that I've been able to get through that stuff, push myself a little bit and come out the other side and realize I didn't fall apart. Definitely. And I would argue in the long run, just as your progression as a human being, those kind of lessons and, and skills and things you develop there are going to be a lot more meaningful than just like, okay, I was able to 
complete this race and I followed my nutrition to a T or whatever. I think those kind of workouts where you learn those kind of things um, do a lot better for you as a whole person in the long run. Yeah, well, I mean, going back years and years with you, Billy, I was your coach when you were in high school, and you know this all too well, but, you know, I was, uh, it was sometimes slightly frustrating, I'll say, the least, to deal with sometimes parents that, um, and other, just even other coaches, but just outside influences about, uh, you know, Johnny needs his Gatorade every mile, and if you're not influencing that or you're not suggesting that, if that's not part of what you're telling him to do, then you're a bad coach. And uh, there's just the the bad information that's out there and making us think we need these things to, to cover these distances. And, um, you know, of, of course, like I'm trying my best to educate people as I go. And that's part of what we're doing this podcast for in the first place. Exactly. And like that, that's the whole point we're trying to be here. We're not trying to vilify these people or put them down, but more if you're an encountered in with that situation, you should ask that person one citation needed because you can't just start spilling that stuff out because most likely they're ill-informed or two, just give a more epistemological approach and ask them, why do you think that's true? Why do you believe that? Um, let me let me ex- experience your rationale for for why you're saying this and and uh, what evidence you found that have le- led you to say that. And most of the time, they have no idea. Yeah, because you know if it's if it's 117 degrees out and 100 percent humidity. I mean, right. first of all, sorry, but uh, I'm probably. Uh, I, I realize I can get in that kind of condition in Western States 100 or something, but I'm probably not going to expose myself to things like that on purpose. And as a coach, I would even say, yeah, we're not going to worry about doing this today, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, sometimes it's just not worth it. And uh, let's just go jump in the lake and have some fun today. It's hot. It's really hot. So that that being said, I mean, common sense prevails, obviously, because there are conditions where you better be getting in a lot of fluid and a lot of electrolytes if you expect to keep going. You're in not going to get brownie points for surviving heat stroke. So, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You're not going to get gains from the running gods or anything. Right, exactly. So you know that that all being said, I think that when I when I put myself through those those elements and those conditions, it does um, at least I think give me some mental callousing and some confidence, and uh, I feel more ready. I feel more prepared of what I am able to do. And so, just uh, wrapping up what I would be going through the rest of the the uh, the day, mainly I'm just going to go home, eat when I'm hungry. So I don't really force my first meal down. I think we're pretty similar that way. Sometimes I am, um, I'm hungry or I'm hungrier than I think I'm going to be right away. That tends to be after I've done like a hard interval session, but not too, too long. Usually when I go longer, I'm actually just, I'm mainly just thirsty. I'm not, um, mainly if I'm craving anything, it's usually fruits. And, uh, then, you know, but then I'll have my big meal typically three or four hours afterwards. Uh, and so that for me, I can just tell you that that is going to be any leftovers that we have in the fridge. But I will say that we don't have anything in the fridge that um, isn't good for me, right? Or isn't part of my daily nutrition plan. So it's all good. I just eat a lot of it. Whatever's there, I'm just going to eat a lot of it, especially post-recovery. 
it's about getting in enough calories at that point to recover. And, um, and I think that that's the, the main thing. I don't worry about how many um, macros of what I'm getting in of what. And even when it comes to being on more fats right now, again, tomorrow's more of a performance-based day. So I'm just going to eat lots of leftovers. Yeah, uh, nothing to add to that at all. So Yeah, and then, and of course, uh, get getting to bed early. And the last, the last mm-hmm. thing I would say with all of this is, and even briefly kind of touching upon what we discussed with other people going and needing or feeling like they need that uh, Gatorade or those 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 um, supplements, we'll say, to get through something. Um, they probably showed up dehydrated. They probably showed up malnourished in the first place. And I used to, as a coach, I used to... 12 tell, hours of sleep over the past three nights. Right? Yeah. And that's it with, with uh, preparation. That's everything to me. And uh, so, you know, uh, as one of my athletes, I'd say all the time is it matter. It, it's so much more important what you're taking in and how much you are recovering and sleeping and making sure you're basically topping your tank off before our quality day or our main race. Yeah, exactly. Taking care of the base of the pyramid first and then moving up from there. And that never is going to change. I love it. So, uh, Billy, any last-minute thoughts for the listeners today? Yeah, again, since this is, of course, the podcast on on using or experimenting with nutritional periodization, again, from an objective standpoint, I just want to leave the listener that no matter the race distance, uh, if that's 50 miles or beyond, the athlete's going to be going at their high, highest sustainable pace. And regardless of how fast that pace is, oxygen becomes the commodity that we're most worried about. And a greater amount of oxygen to travel at a given speed uh, is not going to be efficient. So with that, as we spoke about earlier, more ATP can be generated from carbohydrate from fat per given volume of oxygen. So again, simply from those factual things alone, again, the the whole low-carb, high-fat adaptation, fat utilization protocol, whatever you want to call it, you just have to be aware of the potential drawbacks that may bring to you. You could perhaps justify those from what we talked about as far as like how is that going to impact your intra-race fuel, your your pre-race fuel. And again, if the if at the end of the day when you plug all those things into the equation and you get a, a positive uh, output on the other side, then that makes sense for you. But again, I wouldn't just follow these things because someone's telling you, oh, the reason you can't do this or again, zooming out, the reason you can't lose weight or that you're hungry all the time is because you're not fat adapted. Again, we've hoped to, in this podcast, before give you the correct information where you can accurately dispel some of those myths or suss out some of the details that just aren't accurate. All right, guys. I think that you've heard enough about nutrition periodization for performance. At least let us know what you think. Write us a review, please. I mean, if you like the show, like the show. Give us a review. Give us some stars. We'd really appreciate it. And I would also say sharing the show is so important. It's something that really helps bring more listeners to us. Tell people about us. Give people some insight about what we're talking about here. Even if you don't agree with everything we're saying, still love to hear from you. If anything, I want to hear from you more. I'd love to have a discussion around this. You know, we're rational people. Uh, if you if you if you uh, have any comments or, or critiques, we'd love to hear them. We're always trying to improve too and get feedback from you. So uh, p- yeah, please do that as well. 
Yeah, man. And so don't forget a lot of these details that we will have in our newsletter. You can get that on our website, pendolatraining.com. You can also make sure that you are just signing up or subscribing for our next podcast. Make sure you push that subscribe button. And uh, anybody who has any specific questions for Billy as well, just go ahead and email us. We'll make sure Billy gets the questions so you can email aaron at pendolatraining.com and we'd love to be able to take up some of these questions and maybe investigate a little bit further into how to help you or what it is that you're thinking about for your best version of you or your best performance which by the way if you're thinking these things odds are a lot of other people are thinking them too so don't be shy about that you can even request to be anonymous it's not like we don't usually even say hey so and so said this unless we know they don't mind so if you want to be anonymous be anonymous that's fine just let us know but let us uh, answer your questions and, and help you yeah man yeah man 